0: All right, well, um, as I said, I'm Matt. I'm super excited to be with you this morning. We are at the beginning, week two of our new series uh, on, uh, on the Bible. I know you're like, it's church. Of course it's the Bible. No, no, no. This is a series where we're walking through the Bible where we're reading, where we're knowing God and we're telling God's story. Um, our, our desire is for this coming year to be reading through the entirety of the scriptures together. And so we're two weeks in. And um, we've already gotten to see a whole bunch of stuff about God, maybe some confusing, exciting things. Um, But our purpose is not just to read. I just want to be clear. We're we're seeking to, seeking not to be like someone who completes a reading, but people who are formed by, not just by what is taught in the scriptures, but are, are formed by the God that we meet on every single page of the scriptures. And that not only are we being formed by it and instructed by it, but then we become the kind of people who start telling people about the God that we're meeting on those pages, about what we're learning, what he's showing us about himself, what he's showing us about about us, what he's showing us about the ultimate reality that he's describing in the scriptures that we're longing to be connected to and longing to step into as people who love him. So if you're on track, awesome. Keep it up keep up the good fight, that's fantastic. If you're behind, I don't know why this is the behind side. If you're behind, it's all good. It's going to be okay. The invitation, if you're falling behind, if you're struggling to keep up with the reading is twofold. One, don't give up, okay? Figure out maybe some creative ways to listen to the scriptures while you're walking or, or, or while you're driving or something like that. Try. Maybe there's an opportunity to catch up. If you can't catch up, just start today with what today is. Start today and and be a part of what God's wanting to invite you in as we share these stories of God's work in us together. Well, this morning, we are going to be looking at the life of Joseph, or maybe better said, we're going to be looking at the God of Joseph. And uh, in doing so, I just want to point out that um, Joseph has as many chapters in Genesis as Abraham does. So the patriarch, right, Father Abraham, like the patriarch, Joseph has as many chapters that are articulating his life, and it's not the God of Abraham, it's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, it's just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is a really interesting dynamic at play, as you've read now, several chapters, you're going to read a few more in in the rest of Genesis about... About Joseph. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of walk us through kind of expeditiously the, the, the big movement of God in, in Joseph's life, pointing out a couple things. And then we're going to look at kind of some principles born out of them that, that affect who we are as people, particularly as we see God rightly. So first let's just start with the, s- the setting. The setting is on a high point. Well, for, for Joseph, it's a high point. Joseph is one of 12 brothers, and this is what it says in Genesis 37, verse two to four. It says, these are the generations of Jacob, Joseph's father. Joseph being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report on them to their father. Now, Israel, which is Jacob, loved Joseph, more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors, or an ornamented robe. But when his brothers saw, listen, but when their, his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So this is not a sermon on parenting, especially on a day where we're dedicating children. It's not fantastic parenting, though. We'll just go ahead and acknowledge that, right? Um, there's some automatic family dysfunctions that we see here. We got, we got favoritism, not just like a little bit of favoritism, where you're like, you know, you whine less than your sibling, so I kind of enjoy you more. No, no. It's the, like, I put a cloak on you and parade you around as the one who doesn't have to do any work because you're that special in front of all your brothers who are doing all the work. That, my friends, is solid parenting. Okay. So Jacob has, has not learned in many ways from where he's come from. I mean, Jacob loves Joseph and it says he loves Joseph ultimately because he loved Rachel more than any of his other wives. We'll talk about that in one of our podcasts in a bit. But he, he loved more than Leah for sure and even more than Zilpah. And, and so, so, so Rachel was the one he had true affection for. Rachel was the one who, because he really didn't have the love of his father, he sought Rachel, right? If you look back, it's like, man, Jacob sees Rachel and he's like, I'll work seven years basically for free. If if there's even any chance for me to have her. And says that those days were like they were just, I mean, those years were like just days to him. And that's really sweet. That sounds like a poem, but that's like the sound of idolatry. So Jacob loves Rachel and then he has Joseph after, after Rachel had not been able to have children and Joseph becomes the apple of his eye. He becomes the apple of the apple of his eye. And Joseph is loved by his father more than any of the other children. It's hard to say whether or not his report was a lie or if it was the truth. In some ways, it probably matters, or maybe it doesn't. Uh, But after receiving the coat of many colors and realizing that maybe his brothers hate him because of this, he has two dreams. He has one dream about the sheaves bowing down and he goes and he tells his brothers, hey, I had this really great dream. Y'all are going to bow down to me. He doesn't say it exactly like that, but he leaves the interpretation, which leaves nothing to the interpretation for them to interpret. And then, of course, being very wise, not arrogant at all. Uh, commentators are split on this as to whether Joseph is this righteous character, and I'm just sorry. We've already read Genesis, right? We know that those people don't exist, right? So so Joseph, I mean, let's just be honest, Joseph is 17. He's got the love of his father more than any others. He's wearing the special coat, and he's now telling his brothers not just once, but twice the dreams he's had. The second dream comes, and he tells them again. And now he tells his father to the point where his father rebukes him and says, hey, listen, who do you think you are? This is, I mean, like, you are the apple of, the apple of my eye, but... He rebukes him and says, we're not going to be bowing down to you. So we see here is in Joseph, it's arrogance and pride and unwise behavior. He misses, he misses that his favor and position are not for himself and instead seizes them for himself. He's at best foolish, and at worst, he's on a trajectory for self-destruction and just evil. That's the high point. Not too long after that day, hard times come. Joseph finds himself being sent by his father to go check on his brothers. They see him from a distance, and they're like, this is great news. Verse 19 of Genesis 37, and they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Not a compliment. How? Okay, come now. Let us kill him and throw him into one of these pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. Joseph's taken and thrown into the pit. There's no record, no record of Joseph saying anything. We don't hear any of Joseph's words. All we know is he's thrown into a pit, and eventually a, a caravan of Ishmaelites go by, and they sell him for 20 bucks to a band of Ishmaelites, 20 coins of silver. So Joseph is taken away. It's a strange interlude in Genesis chapter 38 about what's going on with Judah, which just reminds us of how broken all the people are. And then we find ourselves in Egypt and Joseph has been sold to Potiphar's house. And and it looks like maybe out of a pretty terrible situation, out of the pit, out of the hard times, emerges something that could be really, really good news. Maybe, maybe... A high point is on its way. Genesis 39, then the Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had, Joseph experiences God's favor. Yes, he's in Egypt. Yes, he's a slave. Yes, but he experiences God's favor and he, he rises up. He becomes number one in the house. He's familiar with that. He was number one in his father's house. and so. But he, everything he touches goes well. And, and so much so that Potiphar observes it and says, I'm gonna put you in charge of everything because everything you touch seems to have the favor of the Lord on it. We don't know how long he's there, but a testing comes along in the form of Potiphar's wife. And, and it says that he's a hottie. It's a Hebrew for, uh, for Joseph is, is very good looking apparently. And Potiphar, you know, you don't, I, because you have your masks on, it seems like you're not laughing at me, at, not at me. But at the humor, so you just got to be louder about it, okay? All right. Uh, So so Joseph is very handsome. Like, you know, David is rudy. They just say he's handsome. But um, Potiphar's wife makes a play for him multiple times. And each time Joseph declares this to her, one of the the declarations is captured in verse 9. Joseph says, "Um, he, this is my master, he is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Something is shifting in Jacob. Something shifting in him. Not how can I do this great thing and and get in trouble or lose my station or have my coat stripped from me. No, no, like how can I do this evil and, and sin against God? So he honors the Lord. God's been showing him this favor and she bears false testimony against him. Pretends like he raped her and he gets thrown into prison. Like a false story about him. He he hadn't done anything wrong. And he's thrown into a second pit. It says in verse 20, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined and he was there in prison. I think there's something about that second line. Just so we're clear, he was there in the prison. That's his new reality. But the Lord, listen. But the Lord was with Joseph. Which is what said about being in Potiphar's house. But now listen. And showed him steadfast love. Hased. That's, co- that's the word for covenant love. God's co- he showed him his covenant love. Joseph works in the prison in charge of everything again. This is like training 302 in prison for 11 years. And then the hard time looks like it might turn. The baker and the, and the, uh, the, the um, cupbearer of the king get sent to prison simultaneously. I don't know if it's just a really bad day for both of them, but they both get sent simultaneously and they come up with a dream one night. Joseph's taking care of them and, and, and they say that they've had this dream and we catch this um, here at the, uh, where is the dream? Genesis chapter uh, 40. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each with its own interpretation. And so Joseph says, you've had some dreams. He seemed like a big deal. And they say, yeah, but there's no one to give us interpretation. And Joseph responds in verse eight. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. And so he interprets their dreams and he and he's right on both accounts. One of them is a favorable favorable interpretation, one of them is not a favorable interpretation for the baker. We don't know what happens to the candlestick maker. Come on now. Come on. Sunday morning. We're here. So not good news for the baker, really good news for the uh for the cupbearer. The reason is is because he's gonna be returned back to the palace. And so Joseph says, Hey, by the way, when you found favor again, would you remember me? Because I'm not here. I'm, I'm here. I don't deserve to be here. I've done nothing wrong to be imprisoned. The cupbearer gets restored. And I think one of the saddest verses of this section is it says, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Forgot him. It's been eleven years. Two more years go by. Two full years of what is going on. And Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream. Isn't sure what it means. It says in verse 15 of chapter 41, and Pharaoh said to Joseph after bringing him up, because he's heard about him, that maybe he can interpret his dream. He says, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that you... I'm sorry, I heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So Joseph interprets the dream and then unsolicited gives him a full plan of how to implement what he just articulated to him about the famine about to come. And it says in verse 41, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in in whom whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as, you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. High point. It seems like this, is, this would be the high point of the entire story, right? This is the uh, rags to riches, right? The, the princess who didn't know she was a princess and eventually becomes a princess. It feels like kind of that, that story. You didn't realize it was a rough go, but it turned out okay. It seems like the high point. He's now been raised to the highest spot in the land other than Pharaoh. It's, it's, a, it's unbelievable. It's miraculous. What do, we, what do we pull? What do we glean? What do we look at? What do we understand from what we've seen so far? One of the fundamental things that we see, and I don't think I'd actually really engage this in the past when I looked at it before, but God doesn't always tell us. Tell. God doesn't always tell us. He doesn't tell us what he's doing. He doesn't tell us where we're going. He doesn't tell us what he's trying to do with us or around us. Sometimes he just shows us. And tell us he shows us. Verse 21 said, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of other people. One of the things that's fascinating as you read this narrative is that there's no sense that Joseph knows what God is up to. If you've been reading in Genesis, you realize God's been talking to Abraham, right? I mean, he's talking very clear. Abraham argues with him about, about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So, I mean, there's conversation. He, has, he talks with Isaac. Jacob has all these dreams of clarity, and he wrestles with God. Joseph, nothing. There's not one recorded conversation with God and Joseph, not one. Joseph, is happy. he gets these dreams, but it doesn't seem like he gets an interpretation with his own dreams, other than what's obvious. He gets an understanding of what other people's dreams are, but there's no sense that the Lord is telling him exactly what it's going to be, other than giving him the discernment of it. But no, he's not having a conversation with the Lord. He's having to discern and understand what's going on from the providential movement of God's work, not his words. Sometimes God shows us. He doesn't, he doesn't tell us. What we see, though, is that Jacob has this growing surety in who God is. You heard it each time, Right? In the temptation moment, he goes, yeah, hold on, I can't sin against God. In the first interpretation with the the baker, he said, listen, no one interprets but God. And when he has like the moment of moments, right, the interview you want to have in front of Pharaoh to get himself out of the pit he's been in for 13 years, what story would you tell to get out of that? He says, oh, it's not me. I mean, Pharaoh's like, I hear that three times in that sentence, you use the word you, 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 you. I hear that you, if you hear, then you can. And he goes, actually, I can't. Actually, I can't? Like, that's the moment? Yeah, because God has been showing him things along the way. And I've been telling him, he's been showing him. And all Joseph, Joseph's looking at, is he's saying, favor has come when I trusted in the Lord and this is what I know that the Lord is the one who's going to give, if there's going to be a favorable one, it's going to come from the Lord. It's not going to come from me. There's growing surety in Joseph about God's character, about his presence, that his covenant love is on him, not necessarily being spoken to him that we can hear or see. Again, the author of Genesis has no problem articulating the fact that plenty of other people are hearing from God, but not, not Joseph. He knows about God, he sees what God is doing, but he doesn't know where it's going. We're often called to look for God, to to work and to remain faithful where he's placed us because we don't know what he's preparing you for or what he's preparing for through you. So what what is God showing you right now? I mean, in the gospel, we have the words and the works of Christ, it's awesome, right? We have the full orb story, but, but what is he showing you? Maybe, maybe it's been quiet, like you haven't heard a lot. Maybe you're even reading and you're going like, I would love to have a word from the Lord. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, asking for that and asking for the Lord to speak to you and your spirit to hear from him with the word and song, and it's great. But what Joseph would invite us to say is like, you're not getting the words what are his works, what Is he doing? What has he done? What did he just finish doing? What have you seen him do in the past? Never doubt in the darkness what you've seen in the light. God doesn't always tell us. He sometimes shows us. And God's favor is up and down. It's not up and to the right. Right? I mean, the American mantra is everything should be up and to the right, right? Prophets should be up and to the right. Families should be up and to the right, right? Better, faster, more, up and to the right. That's the narrative. That's not the story God writes. It's Almost never the story God writes. Now, God's favor is up and down. And we have high points and in our high points God deepens our confidence. And then there's hard times. Those hard times, God's developing and He's strengthening our convictions. He's working in both of those things. It's up and down, it's high point and hard time, and they both are favor. We ask for the favor of the Lord. Or asking often is up and to the right. And God's saying, I may need, you may need some pit time. In order for the things that I'm trying to do to happen in you. Now what's amazing here is that Joseph has both, right? You see, you see he has success. And one of the incredible things about his success is that somehow everyone around him is picking up on the fact that his success comes from God. That it's a direct re- relationship to his relationship with God. That, that God is the one who's choosing to have favor. Which is, is phenomenal, Right? And I kept thinking in what ways, in what ways do the people in my world know that things that are going well or that have succeeded are God's favor, that they're from his hand versus from me because, you know, because I'm creative or smart or because I figured something out or I just worked really, really hard or. To what degree do the people in your world, at your job or in your neighborhood, do they tell the story of, oh, the favor of the Lord is on, on them? Because that's what they talk about when they talk about the things that God has given them, the things that, that they're celebrating. I was talking to someone this morning, had their grandkids baptized, five of their grandkids were baptized, and he said, the grace of the Lord. It's like, Yep grace of the Lord. Who's getting credit for your success? It's true in success and of course it's true in the struggles, right? One of the key principles is that favor is not equal to prosperity. Favor and prosperity are not co-equal. God's favor is on Joseph as he descends into, he's going the wrong direction He goes from slave to prison. It's not always up and to the right. God had made a promise, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. Everyone, I'm going to bless every nation through you. That's the big story that God's writing through the children of Israel, through Abraham, through Isaac. He's been reminding all three of them, this is what I'm doing. And this is not the way. If Joseph has heard that this is the story God's writing, he's going to be like, this cannot be the way. It's not just, it's not fair. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything to deserve this. But he's not a victim. Favor is not prosperity, but it's also easy to, to look at the story of Jacob and see him like that he's just a victim of circumstances and that he's some, like, like a victim of the injustice of, of a system or a set of people, people that are in power, like Potiphar's wife. It's pretty clear that Potiphar, if he really thought that's what had happened, he would have killed him. So he's in prison and everyone knows he didn't really do it. All, all the other, everyone knows, all the servants know Joseph wasn't hitting on her, she was hitting on him. It doesn't matter, he doesn't have the power. It's not about that story, do you see? And Joseph's story is not a story of a victim. It's a story of someone who is walking in the favor of the Lord on a somewhat downward trajectory into less and less, not up into the right. And that is the favor of the Lord also. And if our definition of the favor of the Lord resides only in up and to the right, then when anything goes down, we find ourselves saying, Lord, why have you abandoned me? That's why the works of the Lord do not only happen in the sunlight, they happen in the darkness. It's why the pits and the prisons are essential for us. lastly, God seeks to rescue everyone. The high points and the hard times are all being woven by God. He's wasting nothing. C.S. Lewis, right? God shouts to us in our pain, right? Whispers to us in our pleasures but shouts to us in our pain, right? So, so he's shouting to, to, to Joseph over 13 years especially in prison because God is, is seeking to rescue everyone, even people that don't know that they need rescued. Listen to the culmination of this section. Genesis forty-one. This is after Joseph's brothers have come and they've done this back and forth, and they've gotten the, you know, they've got the the the, the sacks of, of grain have gone up and back and and Joseph's playing a very interesting relational dynamic. There's a lot of questions around that, but we don't have time to deal with that. But finally his brothers come back and 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 they come back with and come back with Benjamin and and Judah says, You can't take Benjamin. I will, I will, I will put my give myself as a pledge for Benjamin. So take me as the prisoner, not Benjamin. And it's at that moment that verse one says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, they're afraid. Joseph says to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Oh, you did it. Don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 7, and God sent me, before, just in case they missed it, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to give, <laughs> to keep alive for you many survivors. And this verse is amazing. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me father to Pharaoh and a lord of all the house and a ruler over the land of Egypt. Brothers, let me let me let me tell you what I understand about my life now. What God's been weaving is this totally different story than what I could see at any moment, certainly what you guys could see. He's been on a rescue mission and now I see it. I finally see it. I know what my life is about, what it was for. God has been doing something the whole time and now I know. He's showing me behind the curtain. You see, God was rescuing, and he was rescuing everybody. He, he had to rescue Joseph from his foolishness, from his, tra- his trajectory of self-elevation and pride. I find fascinating in, verse, in chapter 42, verse 9, Joseph says, it says, Joseph, his brothers come in the first time, and they, and they bow down in front of him, and you're like, ding, we've seen this before. And jo- it says that Joseph, as they bow down, it says, Joseph remembered the dream that he had dreamed of them. Why does that matter? Joseph wasn't pining over when he was going to get his vengeance. They have all the food, right? I mean, we're clear on that. Egypt has all the food, it's just a matter of time. Just bide your time, Joseph. They're coming. And when they come, oh, they will bow down. Oh, they will, that dream will come true. No, they show up, they bow down, and it's then that he remembers the dream. God had to rescue Joseph from thinking he was someone worthy and that should be bowed down to to someone who would never think about it when his brothers who deserved to bow down him showed up. He had to break his pride. He had to send him into a pit so that he could raise him up and allow him to be the kind of man, the kind of leader. We he could finally use. He had to rescue Joseph. And God needed to rescue his brothers from their hatred and jealousy. One of the most beautiful things about the, the whole back and forth with the brothers and Benjamin and the grain and everything is that, is that the brothers no longer are, are angry at Benjamin for being his now his father's favorite. They literally say their lives are bound up together. So Jacob hasn't been rescued so well, but, but, um, but the brothers are like, we love Benjamin. Reuben and Judah pledged themselves for Benjamin's life. They don't hate him. They now are willing to give themselves for him. The brothers have been rescued through this time, through this process. God's been doing things. And of course, the family of Abraham, the the family of promise, needed to be rescued from a famine that was going to destroy the whole world. God was working out his purposes. He was working out his purposes and no one knew that that's what he was doing. God rescues and, and, and he wants to rescue you and he wants to rescue me and maybe he wants to rescue you from pride and arrogance or, or self-aggrandizement like, like, uh, like Joseph or maybe, maybe it's jealousy and envy and strife and maybe it's, maybe it's hard-headedness. Maybe it's... I don't know what he's wanting to rescue you from. Maybe it's from idolatry about your family and your kids, like the idea of having a perfect family or having a perfect child or things not going wrong. I mean, it's the idolatry of your work. He wants to rescue you from that today. I'm a God who rescues, and he will stop at nothing to do so. He will stop at nothing to do so. High points or hard times. The problem with The need for rescue is that we think we can rescue ourselves. And I, like Joseph, like his brothers, like the very family that was gonna be wiped out by famine, none of us can rescue ourselves. None of us can, but we've been given a rescuer. But God sent, there's a true and a better Joseph. Jesus, is the true and better Joseph for you, for the rescue you need today. The one who was the true begotten of the father, the one who had the favor and the delight of the father, who was sent to those who hated him, that he would be stripped and that he would be thrown down into the very pit of death When his cries went out, no one heeded him, for you, for me. Jesus is the true and better Judah, who offered himself as a pledge for, in order to save his brother, brothers, not just one brother, but all his brothers and sisters and not the price of being a servant, but at the cost of his very life. That in so doing, he would be able to restore sons and daughters to the father who loves them. Yes, Jesus is the true and better Joseph. The one who having risen from the death ascended not to the throne of Pharaoh, but to the court of God, the father at his right hand, and as we sang earlier, he was given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, more than 11, all would bow, and every tongue would confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the rescuing savior you have. And so Jesus lays before you, in a meal, in the cup and in the bread, a declaration of the favor of the Lord upon you. As you hold the cup and you hold the bread and and you take it in, that's what you're agreeing to is that what he has done for you, purchased your favor because he is the one who had favor and he transferred it to you. God sent him to restore your favor with the father So you can sit here this morning and it is well with you. You have the love of the father, a good, good father. Better than any of the earthly fathers we have here, even better than Joel and Steve and and Scott, like better than all of us. A good father who's been restored by the favor of the son. And so that's what he's inviting us to, is to take the bread, take the cup, and remember that we belong to the father because of him and through him. Let's pray.